Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Astronauts and world-class artists, best-selling authors, and epic overcomers. My friends, we've had almost 200 unbelievably powerful individual stories that I have shared with you on this podcast, and I have been blessed to be a part of sharing them with our overall community. But there is something about the conversation that you are going to hear today that I love. You're going to hear the story of growing a business from a few million dollars in revenue to several billion dollars in revenue from a couple dozen employees to more than 6,000 leaders. You're gonna hear the story from two individuals about growing up, about a chance encounter where they met one another, about courting, about marriage, about raising kids, and about living life afterwards. You're gonna hear the story today about a cancer diagnosis, about the terrifying procedures that followed, the challenges of recovery, the medical team that guided it forward, the friends and family that supported it, and the faith that enveloped it all. But more than anything else, while you listen to this Live Inspired podcast today, you're going to hear the story of love, love of life, love of opportunities, love of family, and a profound, still-growing, unconditional love of one another. You, my friends, are going to love this one. It's the interview that I get to share with you with Joe and Kim Koenig. You'll need your open hearts, your open minds, your open journals. You'll need to fasten tight that seatbelt because this one's going to be a wild ride. I'm looking forward to sharing with you this incredible, unconditional story of love. My friends, please sit back and get ready for the ride as I get to share with you the story of Joe and Kim Koenig. Joe and Kim, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thanks, John. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, John. I am too. Kim, th- this is such an honor. I'm going to start with you today. For the listeners who don't know your story yet, and they don't know where you live yet, and they don't know kind of who you are yet, Tell the folks listening at home or poolside or in their vehicle right now or while they're working out a little bit more about Kim Koenig. I am the oldest of five. We moved around a lot. My dad worked in insurance and would travel around usually the Midwest opening HMOs. We had the luxury of living in about nine cities before I got to high school and ended up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin uh, and graduated I was the only one of the five of us to go to the same high school for four years, so that was a gift for sure for me. But uh, after high school graduation, came to St. Louis to go to St. Louis University and met Joe at SLU. So you you meet Joe, but before we bring in Mr. Koenig, you used the word luxury to, to describe the nine different cities over those years. Was that a real use of the word or was it uh, a difficult time to be moving around that much as a kid? Honestly, really in retrospect, it was difficult for sure. And I was, of the five of us, for sure the most shy. Yeah. And I think for me, I didn't realize that the moves were a gift until much later because when we were in the moves and adjusting and making new friends and moving into new houses, that was tough. Mm-hmm. And being a shy kid was extra hard for me remembering those days, I started to read a lot during that time because I didn't 
have the confidence to mm-hmm. make the friendship sometimes. So I started to develop a love for reading. So that is something that was a gift for me to have back then and, and being able to do that and uh, kind of escaping a little bit sometimes. But fast forward 35 years later from the last move almost, I realized that that time gave me the, the gift of grit mm. and the gift of being able to walk into new situations and not feeling scared or intimidated because you just had no choice. You had to dig in and you knew there was no turning back because you were where you were for usually about three or four years and you had to make the most of the situation. Mm. I get the grit, it's gonna serve you later on in life. And so with that being said, it's a perfect bridge to your partner in life, my friend, Joe Koenig. Joe, for the listeners who don't really know your story yet, tell us, uh, tell us where you come from. So I was born and raised here in St. Louis, attended uh, Catholic all-boys school. I played soccer and then was fortunate enough to get a soccer scholarship to St. Louis University and played four years of soccer there. That's where I met him. After that, I went to work for a consulting firm and then was recruited to go work at Worldwide Technology, which I've been there now for 26 years uh, and uh, have watched a young startup type of company back in 1993 develop probably from 8 million in business back then with about 15 employees to this past year, uh, 2018, over 11 billion in revenue and over 6,000 employees as well. So I've seen a lot in those 26 years growing up with them worldwide. One, one thing that impresses me about not only your family, Koenigs, but your business is the word humility. And uh, I have the honor of traveling the world as a speaker, have met an awful lot of executives from an awful lot of organizations. And the word humility is not always one that I would attribute to uh, big successful organizations or leaders. And yet both of you and your entire team it's something you have in spades. Is, is that one of the traits that you would say set you apart and have allowed this little $8 million, 15-person organization back in the mid-90s to grow to where you are today? Yeah, it's interesting. From the worldwide technology perspective, we have core values. Back in 2000, the values were EPATH, and that was Embrace, Change, Passion, Attitude, Teamwork, Honesty, and Integrity is what the acronym stood for. And right after the dot-com bubble burst, um, we were sitting in one of our leadership meetings and talking about adding another you know, value to, to our overall core values, and, and the value was humility. Hmm. And one of the areas that, that we, ha- we saw back in the dot-com craze was people who were growing up in that, in that era and starting new businesses and elevating their positions, they started to change how they acted, how they treated people. As we looked at that as, as the dot-com burst and those people kind of fell off, we looked at this as something that we never want to be like. You know, no matter how successful we'll, we'll ever be, never forget where we've come from. Because where we've come from back in 1993 when I was there was the rock bottom. I mean, we almost went out of business multiple times, robbing Peter to pay Paul. It was very, very difficult. Never forget those times and when you become, if you ever become successful. So humility was added as one of our core values. And then we also, right after that, we added a value at the same time, trust. If you don't have trust when you have a working relationship with our partners, our customers, our employees, that's going to be difficult to traverse. So now EPATH, which it was, now became the path. And I always reference uh, when I talk to new employees, you know, there's a difference of the quote from the, the movie Matrix, the difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And that's something that we profess in our business every day. You're not always going to be perfect in driving these core values, but and, and you can look at those on a wall and read them on a screensaver or on a document, but you have to walk that path day in and day out. And, and that's what will make the difference. Well, you've been walking the path now as a couple for a number of decades. And the path, generally speaking, has been guiding you forward, upward, and to the right. The growth angle is incredible as a couple and also as an organization. And yet there are some rocky roads that you're gonna hit just a couple years back. I'd like to talk about that in a moment. But Ms. Kim, when I speak to organizations and people come up afterwards, frequently they share their story. So they'll, they'll begin the sentence like, hey, it's nothing like yours, but, and then they'll talk about a bankruptcy or a divorce or a difficulty they face as a child or a suicide in the family or a mental health crisis, whatever it may be. But another comment I hear frequently in every single line is this, John, when you get home, tell your wife, thank you. 
And I love that. It's, it's maybe my favorite comment to receive because someone in the audience recognizes that I'm only there, only there because there's someone doing much more work than I am that day at home. There's someone changing diapers, doing bath time, getting the dinner on, going to the store, doing everything while I'm getting standing ovations. And there's an awful lot of humility that comes with changing diapers and doing the gritty work of life while someone else is growing a $11.2 billion business. So I wanna just talk for a little bit about parenting and, and parenting while a spouse is busy. And many of us deal with this, whether it's single parents or a, a spouse who's growing a huge business or a spouse who just has several jobs to keep the lights on. Talk about parenting during that busy season. What, what, what were some of the things that got you through the, uh, the difficult days of growing kids? We have three boys and Gwen, Joe's working full-time, I was working full-time, and quickly into having our second child, I think we both came to the realization that this was not working well and that something had to give. And Joe's travel was really the component we couldn't wrestle with since he was on the road so much. We both decided that it was in our family's best interest for me to step away from the work world for a while and concentrate 100% on raising the boys. Mm -hmm. That was difficult, and everyone can relate to this because there's so many good times and such great days when you're a stay-at-home mom, but sometimes those days are long too. And especially when your spouse is on the road and out of town and not always able to talk on the phone that much. Back in the day, we didn't have the FaceTime or anything like that to rely upon even day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. So it was like a long-distance call, not even on a cell phone, <laughs> yeah. which is funny. There were struggles, but there were a lot of great times. It was hard, but I'm so grateful that I was able to be home with the boys because Joe was concentrating on his career and I was trying to support that. So my, my wife has received several messages from friends where they describe it as extraordinarily long days and extraordinarily short years. So the time flies by. I know your little ones are high school, college. You have one entering into high school next year. What, what would you say to a parent right now, whether it's a gentleman or lady, couple, partner, single mom or dad, as they are weathering these extraordinarily long days and extraordinarily short years? Wow, someone did try to tell me this too. And when you're in it, it's hard to really comprehend it. But I would definitely pass on the fact that the years do fly by and time goes so fast. So as much as you can stay in the moment and try to hang on to whatever phase you're in with your child, just enjoy it as much as you can because it's crazy mm. how fast things go by. It is crazy and it's also crazy, this idea of growing from $8 million in top line revenue to $11.2 billion. So Joe, we could spend an hour podcast talking about achieving your goals and setting the strategy, living into the tactics, building culture, all, all the stuff. And there's a worthy time and place for that. But one of the cool byproducts of doing all that well is the opportunity to serve in the community. As you have grown from a kid on scholarship playing a little bit of soccer at St. Louis U, to a guy who's gone through a couple of business transitions, to a guy who's now president of a really successful business. How do you decide where you wanna invest your time, your talent and your treasure? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, say 10, 15 years ago, I'm not sure I would have had a great answer there, to be honest with you. But over those last 10 years or so, I've given this a lot of thought. I would break it out into maybe three areas. The first area being what's personal to you. Obviously, I have a couple personal things right now that you'll touch on later in this podcast, one being cancer that is very personal to me, obviously, and that is an area I'm going to spend some time, resources, dollars, and so forth, support that cause in many different ways. So a personal interest. The other personal interest I have is around education, especially for the less fortunate. And one of the areas that, that I focus on is an organization called Boys Hope, Girls Hope, where they take inner city kids or kids in need and then provide them of uh, the wherewithal in, in sometimes uh, residential type of environments all the way, but help and guidance through school from third grade all the way up to post-college. They stay with these kids and provide them in the best way I say, hope or sometimes where they are, hope doesn't exist. And for that, seeing the impact that they can make and take kids that, like I said, may not have hope, provide them the resources mm -hmm. uh, and the wherewithal and watch what they're able to do. And then even become multipliers of others 
is so impactful and just so inspiring to watch and see in their stories one's better than the next. And so be, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be the chair of that board of, of the overall organization. And to see the results is just fantastic. So there's a personal component that's number one. You know, I, I, I would absolutely say the other area that for me is it's like who's involved with, with certain organizations and why are they involved? A friend, a family, a coworker, and so forth. And how can I support them through, through some of their involvement? So their time, their talent, treasure, and how can I augment, how can the company help them uh, as well? So that's one thing that I think if I look at an area that has been so fruitful from worldwide technology has been the ability to give back. I mean, the impact that we can make in our community in St. Louis, but also the communities where we have offices is absolutely tremendous. And to see the results of our, our people that are, are you know, fueling their passions around giving back providing day of hearings for within our organization. That's a take a day off, but it has to be put towards an organization that you care about. And then us having resources behind that to help them. Just seeing the people rally behind some of those causes and the really true goodness in people, it's just been tremendous and something that I think is very near and dear to our hearts at Worldwide. Thank you for sharing all that and for living all of that. When, when I speak for long like leadership forums. In other words, not like an hour keynote, but for a day or two. Frequently we'll unpack dates that change us. Uh, and so I, I may share January 17, 1987, it's the day I got burned, or February 14th, the day I lost my fingers, or the date of my grandfather's death, which moved and shaped me incredibly. Also the date of our anniversary when Beth and I were married, or the birth of my children, these dates that change us. Some of them are very positive and others seemingly, at least at first, are very negative. You had one of those dates in January 2017. You shared part of this at a worldwide event that I happen to be a part of, and you showed the growth line for worldwide technology. And dang, man, it is an impressive freaking line up into the right year over your growth. It is good. It is rocking. Come on. And you also tracked alongside of that the growth of Joe Koenig, the guy. And it is even somehow better. It's even above the worldwide technology <laughs> I growth. did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did laugh. it on purpose. <laughs> and yet in January 2017, it hits a mighty hiccup. So uh, take me and Kim and our listeners back to that. A couple of years before, I started having some issues with uh, my tongue. And you know, I was at, it was some sore lesion that never healed. And so they would do steroid shots in, in the tongue, which by the way, hurt a lot. So they thought that would heal up uh, you know, this issue that I was having and it never did. Two years later, um, I finally was re-biopsied. So that was January 5th when the re-biopsy happened. And then me and the family went on a vacation to Mexico. And while on vacation, I received the biopsy results back on January 10th saying that you have cancer. I was like, What's, no one was around me when I was on the call. And so I'm like, what in the heck does that mean? My first question besides what does that mean was right after is that, well, I'm supposed to give my brother one of my kidneys. I was three months into the whole evaluation. It was all done, sealed. They were ready to schedule the surgery of me giving one of my kidneys to my brother who needed a transplant. And so I'm like, what, can I, what am I going to do about this kidney transplant? And they said, well, you're off the list now. And I'm like, all right, so I can't donate a kidney now. And so now I have bad news I have to tell my brother. And now I have bad news I'm going to have to tell the family. So I'm like, all right, what am I going to do with this? This is a Monday, and we're staying until Saturday. I am not going to wreck the vacation of my wife and my kids. And I didn't tell anybody until Friday. No one to this day would ever would have known that I had that news inside of me. I had a blast. And the only time I really thought about that much was when I was on a treadmill or working out or something by myself. I had earphones on or laying on the beach and I'd start thinking a little bit about what was in store for the future. As soon as I got back, I did a PET scan, a CT scan, uh, and figure out where, where all the cancer was and the impact and what was next. So then on Friday of that of that vacation, I'm like, well, maybe I should tell her before I leave. <laughs> and for those of you not watching us right now, I just got the greatest eye roll of all time. <laughs> from Miss Kim, but we'll come to that eye roll here in a moment. So yeah, so I'm like, you know, so I, I prepped, so I'm like, what am I gonna say, what am I gonna say? Uh, so hey, let's go for a walk on the beach. Oh, sounds good. You know, so we're walking on the beach now. My heart is pumping a mile a minute. Man, I'm nervous. I have no idea how I'm gonna say it. 
And, and it really felt like I was proposing again. Mm. That's how nervous I was. It was just so strange. My heart was beating so badly. And so finally, I'm like, you know, I have some bad news. She's like, what? I got a call back from the doctor and said, I have cancer. And she's like, what? Obviously, emotions were flying on that walk back to the hotel. And then, yeah, I'm trying to make light of it uh, at the same time. I actually told her a pretty funny joke that I won't actually say uh, on the <laughs> podcast, but uh, probably not appropriate. And then it was, you know, she knows. And then we told the boys when we got back to St. Louis. And then it was now, hey, here we go. The journey begins. And so then it was off to, to the PET scan, the CT scan, to figure out what was going on. When I was going through the kidney donation for my brother, I met a great doctor down at Barnes. And when he found out immediately what happened, because now I can't, provide the kidney to my brother, he calls me up immediately and says, what, what the heck is going on? I'm scheduling an appointment with the top doctor at Barnes uh, at Seitman. So I was in there right away as a second opinion, and he immediately scheduled surgery to remove 30% of my tongue. And then we would determine what the next results would be after that. You mm. know, was that, would we have clear margins and that would be it? Or would there, there something else we're gonna have to deal with? So we had the surgery, it was difficult. And then you have to relearn how to speak and eat a different way. And that was fine. I worked through it. But during the seven-day pathology came back, you know, when I went back for my follow-on visit and they found out they didn't get all the cancer. Um, and it was to be a much more extensive surgery where you know, now we're going to take out 50 to 60% of your tongue, but we'll replace it with tissue from your arm that we'll harvest from your forearm. We'll harvest an artery and transplant that into your mouth and give you a little bit better quality of life uh, from a speech, from a swallow, from a eating and so forth, uh, drinking mode. And you'll, you'll come out of this 12-hour surgery with a trait, with a feeding tube through your nose, with a cast on your arm. We're going to rip 40 lymph nodes out of your neck and have a big scar on your neck. I mean, you're going to come out of this like you got hit by a truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've said, well, that sounds very encouraging. You know? <laughs> but hopefully that's it. And hopefully that, I'm thinking, hopefully that's it. What else could there be? Well, there was more because in their seven-day pathology, which, by the way, did I tell you I hate seven-day pathology? So their seven-day pathology came back from the 12-hour surgery and it found cancer in my lymph nodes, which was a bad sign. So then it was chemo or radiation or both, and they made a determination that was just going to be a heavy dose of radiation, which I thought, well, that's a win. You know, no chemo, just radiation, pizza cake. But that was far from the truth. So after recovery from second surgery, Seven weeks later or so, then you start 33 doses of radiation, and that was very difficult, which took me down a path that was so, so difficult. I don't even know what to say, to the point where the intense pain, the feeling like you're on fentanyl, I'm on oxycodone, I'm on hydrocodone, magic mouthwash, which there's no magic about it, and you're on all these drugs as you're getting through uh, this, these procedures. And finally, you know, you ring the bell after the 33 treatments. And you know, I'll remember that day as long as I live, uh, June 13th. But I'll tell you what, I still felt horrible. That radiation's gonna sit in my system for a long period of time after that. And I still was on, I didn't mention, but you know, midway through I did a feeding tube and my stomach inserted mm-hmm. because I couldn't eat anymore, I was losing too much weight. So now you still have to have a feeding tube in, you still are on the drugs for a couple more months and feeling terrible and trying to wean yourself off as you go. So it wasn't until, say, mid-August that they finally were able to remove the feeding tube and wean myself off the drugs, and, which was very, very difficult. And then it was trying to make your way back to your normal life, which wasn't like the old normal. A new normal existed. And then started to try to go back to work in, say, late September, and then try to one day at a time. I still was going through therapy for my lymphedema that I had. So I was going therapy for my arm, speech therapy, swallow therapy, my doctor's appointments. It was ongoing pain that you just never forgot you know, what happened. So that was kind of a cliff note version of, the, of those eight, version. <laughs> of eight months. While you were sharing, and I'm seeing emotion in your face and hearing it in your voice, uh, as I glance to your your right, my left, I see Kim, and the only person showing more emotion than you right now, Joe, is your bride, your wing woman, your partner, your friend. Before I ask the question, I had always viewed what I went through as my story. Like, I got burned, and I got scarred, and I had surgeries. My story. 
And then my mom and dad in 06 or so wrote a book called Overwhelming Odds about their story. I read it and it changed my life because I realized the person who went through the most in the room was not the patient himself, but the caregivers who loved the patient, the mom, the dad, the spouse, the daughter, the son, whoever it may be, the nurse, the doctor. What they invest in those they love is overwhelming and the pain they take home, maybe not physically, Maybe they're not dealing with the radiation or the surgery, they're feeding tubes, but they're dealing with it in a way that I think you and I can't fathom. And so my heart aches and swells for the caregiver. And I have the honor of being seated across from one right now. So Kim, taking the story way back to Cabo, you're at the very top of life, place of the beach, final day of vacation, business is growing, everybody's healthy, three boys, every, perfect. And then you get this news from your spouse that um, it's not so perfect. Take me back to how that felt for you. The word that really sums it up for me after Joe shared that news was just that it was it was surreal. I, I just felt like my world was spinning. I was completely taken off guard and I thought this couldn't be happening to Joe, to our family, to me. I It was crazy um, to try to wrap my head around. And being the planner that I am too, I wanted to just put this in a nice package and how are we gonna attack it mm-hmm. and where we go forward and how do we proceed? And there were so many unknowns that that was not easy to do. So when we got back home and the shock still hadn't worn off, but we had to go into plan and attack mode, that was difficult to see our way through. Uh, we were very fortunate to have a stellar group of doctors and nurses at Siteman and we got into the right hands. And I'm, I will always be grateful for that because in the end, I think they saved Joe's life because we were on a different path up until we got into their hands. Once we landed there and I immediately trusted the doctors that were going to take care of Joe, I felt a lot better, but I had no idea what was in store as far as surgeries and recoveries and treatment. I will say that January 17th, you know, through that curveball, we were unprepared. I didn't realize this until probably six months after Joe's journey, but I went on a trip two years prior, January 15, that I'd always wanted to go on. A close friend of mine had made a pilgrimage to Medjugorje. And five years previous, I thought, oh, I'd love to go, but I can't go. I'm too busy. The kids need me. Joe's traveling. I'll go someday. So this trip came up in January 15, two years prior to Joe's diagnosis, and I went. And anyone who knows me laughs because I went to Medjugorje, which is a tundra in January, and I hate cold weather. I hate to be cold. I knew no one because my closest friend wasn't going to go at the last minute, but here I was with a group of about 25 people that I came to know very well and had an unbelievable experience. Medjugorje is famous, especially in the Catholic faith, for uh, visions of Mary. And we were there for eight days and we celebrated mass together usually twice a day. And we got to meet some of the visionaries who had the apparitions in the 80s. And to say how uplifting and fulfilling this was, I can't describe. It was a great week for me. I just, it changed my life but I did not know that it was going to prepare me for what we came to know in January 2017. You used the word surreal earlier. Would you use the word prepared to, or is there no way really to be prepared for a cancer diagnosis? I don't think you could be prepared, but I feel like that trip for me gave me an armor. And because of that great faith experience I had two years previous, that sustained me for what was to come for Mm -hmm. Joe and our family, because no, nothing can prepare you for that. So speak to the caregivers out there, whether uh, you're taking care of someone at home or guiding someone through a treatment process, what were some of the suggestions that you may offer today to help guide them forward along their journey? Sure, I a lot of times felt like I was on an island with Joe. I'm not very comfortable with medical things. I don't have a strong stomach. And some of the things we had to endure together and take care of was very difficult but you just dug in because you didn't have a choice. But what really helped is that we reached out to our doctors a couple of times and we asked them to give us some resources of people who have been in similar cancer situations that we could talk to and see how their journey was, what advice they could give us. And we were fortunate to have connected with two people who have become good friends of ours. Joe was in a fog. Joe was in survival mode, heavily medicated 
and really just trying to get through his journey and, and treatments, really. And I could SOS these people at any time, whether it was a text or a phone call, and they would kind of talk me off a cliff with what I was doing and had suggestions of what I could do better. So knowing people who have been through similar situations is such a great thing to have. And Joe, you're the one bedside, man. You're the one in the MRI machine. I wanna hear that story in a moment and a couple of things you were listening to that got you through it, but speak to the patients for a a moment. Yeah, there was something that really stuck with me as a friend of mine, which gave me a, a wristband bracelet that, that I think is so important to me. And when I first received it, I put it on my shelf as I was right, it was right before I was doing my second surgery. And then when I was out of that surgery, I was back home, I'm recovering from that. Um, I looked on my shelf, I'm like, man, what does that bracelet say in? And what are the colors of that? The bracelet said, no one fights alone. So I'm like, man, amen to that. I mean, I put that on, I've not taken it off since. In fact, him wears the ring version of it. Um, that's how important it is. And whether you're talking to a caregiver, a patient, the one thing that resonates with me is that quote, is that if you're gonna be alone, this is not a fight that you want alone. It's something that's so important to have people around you. Your support system is so important and they will help guide you, push you, challenge you to get to that other side. Because if you're doing this by yourself, it's gonna be a difficult road. With people that you love, you trust, it becomes a little bit easier to see the light. And, and to me, I'll never forget that. So when people sit out there and, and don't want help or wanna do it by themselves, I would absolutely encourage them the opposite. Let people in, be vulnerable, open yourself up for help because you're going to need to stay through it. Tell us where you are today physically. How am I today? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I am a lot better than I was in 2017. I think there's always residuals that, that happen. The good news is no cancer, right? Amen to that. Radiation has a bunch of side effects. You know, I still have problems with the speech, problems with swallowing and eating. But those are things I can work through. It's perspective. When I sit in a survivor's group meeting um, I, once a month, I listen to their stories and I'm like, oh man, I'm so glad I'm not like that. I'm so fortunate, right? <laughs> Everything's a perspective. Yeah, I have challenges. There's no doubt. I have some issues with my jaw because the radiation causes your jawbone to deteriorate. And we're working through that right now. So I lost a tooth because it was infected and the jawbones just deteriorate. And so that stuff, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But Right now, I'm pretty decent there at this point, but a matter of perspective. I mean, I see so many different things out there, and when I start saying, oh, man, I'm so bummed out because of this or that, I look out, like, well, you know, maybe I'm not that bad off right now. It's something that I have to always remember that I've been pretty darn blessed by the results uh, of this so far, and just take it a day at a time, and if there's something there that I can do to help someone else, get through that, then, you know, that's my job, my responsibility. And that's the way, at least the way I see it. Explain to me why you were in that MRI machine, what they did for you, and then what you were listening to. Yeah, so so it's actually, it's not an MRI machine, close. It's called a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, so this is one- It's brutal, yeah. man. It's, it's barbaric what they yeah. do to these poor patients, yeah. and Joe's not one of them. Yeah, so I had to do what they call dives. Uh, and if anybody has been or seen hyperbaric, you sit in a chamber or lay in a chamber for about two hours and you can't have anything in the chamber with you. There's no metal, no nothing. You have your household scrub on and that's it. And you have a little water bottle and that, that's about it. What they allow you to do is watch TV outside, which, I mean, who watches TV anymore? I mean, especially at the times I do it, I watch Family Feud or <laughs> soap operas or something like that. People mess me, that's what they're doing. I'm like, oh, come on. I need a little bit something <laughs> better than this. So I suffered through a couple of them, but then I'm like, all right, I have to figure this out. They allowed me after I'd show them I'd do it and wouldn't hurry anything to allow a hookup to my iPhone and listen to podcasts. And one of the first podcasts I listened to was one by a guy named, see if you know this guy's name, John O'Leary. Yeah, I've heard he's great. <laughs> Just great, man. Uh, Just hang out with us. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, and I would listen to, to podcasts, you know, through those two hours. I would just, just line up a hue. You just sit in there and, and basically what it simulates is a, a dive down to 55 feet. And so it messes with your ears. It messes with a bunch of areas within your head. As you dive down there and you sit down in this lower state, and then you come back up and your ears are popping like fireworks going off. So at least it happened to me. I had to do it 20 times. And then I was supposed to have a surgery to remove three or four of my teeth, but they decided to push that off a bit. 
And then I had to do 10 more dives after that. And then they thought, we'll just see what happens. We won't remove any of your teeth. And then I lost a tooth right after that. <laughs> so it was, it was fun, but, but I would not recommend doing that with anybody. That is not a pleasant experience. You listen to a little Coldplay. Ah, yes. It was funny about the Coldplay. And someone asked me, you know, what's the, the deal with you and Coldplay? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, to be honest with you, you know, five years ago, I'm not even sure I knew many of their songs. My boys would listen to it, but I wouldn't pay attention to it. After my second surgery, I asked the doctor, and I said, hey, I'm just curious. Mine was a 12-hour surgery. What the heck do you guys do for 12 hours? You're not doing surgery for the entire 12 hours. Like, do you guys take a break? And he goes, well, yeah, we have to take a coffee break. But wait, 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 so you leave me in the operating room while you're having a coffee or a bagel? And he goes, yeah, we have to. We need a break. And I'm like, okay, well, all right. That's a bit odd. That's all right. Someone with me, by the way, when you're gone? <laughs> have a little fun with him, right? I said, well, do you listen to music? He goes, uh, oh, yeah, we always listen to music when we have surgery like that. And I said, well, do you remember what music you were listening to? He goes, uh, actually, I do. I was listening to Coldplay. I'm like, really? Cool, all right. So then I went through my first two radiation treatments. They always ask you, what music do you want to listen to? And I'm like, I'm listening to Coldplay. So listening to Coldplay, probably of the 33, I probably listened to it four or five times of those. And now we're in late September. I'm on the other side. All of a sudden, Kim shows up at work one day and says, hey, we're surprised we're leaving town. I'm like, where are we going? Did you talk to the doctor? Am I allowed to travel? And said, yep, you're covered, we're good. I have a wife at home and Pat, nope, got everything you need. So she packed everything up and we flew off to, uh, with our youngest 13 year old to uh, LA. I'm like, what are we going to LA for? And we're in Santa Monica and we're just walking around everything. We had dinner that night, us three and about 11 o'clock I'm sleeping. And all of a sudden, somebody shaking me, and it's my then, you know, 23-year-old son shows up out of the blue, surprises me, and it was fun. Following day, we're at Happy Hour. Before we go, this is a special place. I'm not told where we're heading. And all of a sudden, my 21-year-old shows up out of the blue, taps me on the shoulder. So now I got all three of my boys. Uh, we're having a, uh, you know, having a drink before we're going somewhere. And then we jump into a, uh, a car, and we start driving. And I'm like, where are we going? They wouldn't tell me. So finally, we get close, and we're going to the Rose Bowl to see Coldplay. And it was just an awesome <laughs> experience, concert with the family, all together experiencing something that means something special to me. And then I followed up with that when I was in the hyperbaric, listening to some Coldplay as well, until I met you. All of a sudden, out of the blue, you pull out your keyboard and start playing a song. And I'm like, wait, I recognize that. That's a Coldplay song. And I'm like, what is going on with Coldplay? <laughs> yes. The spirit is moving through Coldplay. Oh, my gosh. It was something else. Coldplay means a little bit something different than it meant five years ago. When I found out your eighth grader recently played at a 50-person concert and sang The Scientist, which is just, it's just a, a bow on a beautiful gift. So this has been a wild journey for you from Milwaukee and nine cities leading up to that, through South St. Louis, through marriage, through 20 awesome years of growth together, and then challenges together. What have you learned through this experience, Kim, as a spouse, specifically since the January of 2017, since that walk on the beach and then the walk back to the home and then telling the boys and then the fight forward, knowing that you're not fighting alone. What, what have you learned as a spouse? Uh, so many things, Jen. This whole experience has made me, number one, realize that the vows that we took 27 years ago almost, yes, I meant them that day. But did I really realize what I was saying that day to Joe? Not so much, I don't think. Thought I did. But the depth of what the vows meant and mean are huge. Sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Certainly lived some of those difficult part of vows that you maintain and try to see out. So that's for sure one thing that I'm reminded of. You never expect sometimes to encounter the difficult days, but you cherish your spouse and you love your spouse and you would do anything for him or her so you don't know how much your vows will be tested. I think the other thing that I've learned is that I just cherish every day and try not to take anything for granted because seeing what a survivor Joe's been and how difficult the days have been for him, I just am uh, amazed by his resilience and his strength. And that inspires me. Joe? Someone asked me post uh, all the, what happened, but you know now that you didn't know before. If you have him, I'm going to ask you the same question. And I'm like, 
All right, him, you go first. Because I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, know, I, I didn't have an answer. Uh, and so I'm like, no, I, I'll go first on this one. So I think it was simple. It's kind of what she said earlier, the definition of unconditional love. Because, yeah, the vows are there and sickness and help them to her point earlier. I, I'm not sure you know what that means. And I preface some of it by saying, let me be clear. It's not like didn't love you before, but there's a there's another level that I'm not sure existed, that I knew existed before all this happened. And that is this, what I saw, what I felt from her throughout this whole process was something I've never experienced before. And that just raises that to another plateau that I said, I'm not sure I knew existed. So that definition of unconditional love is something that I learned a lot about, mm. you know, through this whole process. What do you hope your boys learn throughout this whole process? I know you're just the president of Worldwide Technology, growing this business, and you're just doing other things organizationally, and yet your heart, at the end of the day, is to make sure you raise kids that understand what life is all about and have examples in front of them modeling this. What an awesome opportunity to do exactly that through the last couple of years. I'm just curious, looking back on it, what, what do you hope that those three have witnessed through the way you two have managed the difficulties of the last couple of years? I think what we always tried to model for the boys previously is just a good marriage. But now I think that they really see that example differently and they have come to see and hopefully will continue to see in their relationships later in life, the value of commitment in marriage and I think when they have seen, especially Joe and then Joe and I side by side in enduring what has gone on, they have seen that real time, real life play out. And I know they thought their mom and dad hopefully had a good marriage, decent marriage, got along, but now they saw a depth of the committed marriage. And I hope that that goes forward to serve them in successful, significant, loving marriages. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely that's number one. Maybe something a little bit different around this is what I witnessed from my mom and dad because my dad went through a tough, tough 12 years from a heart attack to kidney transplant to uh, many sicknesses post-kidney transplant, staph infections and so forth. He basically had nine lives and, and spent a lot of time in the hospital. It knocked down time and time again. And so I, from his side, I would say that his resilience, his perseverance definitely impacted me. And the attitude that he showed every time he got knocked out wasn't, oh, woe is me, but I'm going to get right back up. I'm going to be positive, I'm going to smile, and I'm going to be that person, right? Put on a good face, whether that's what he felt like or not, he put on an awesome face around that. From that, so I learned a lot there. On the mom side, I learned about, man, she was just a piece of iron. She was with him at his bedside all the time. Never thought about nothing else but taking care of him. And watching those two deal with the adversity that they dealt with and, and the way they did it was very, very special to me and had a profound impact. That's the same thing, what I learned. I wanna make sure that the boys learn as well. Watching whether it was me dealing with what I dealt with or just not even about that, but just other challenges you have in life, right? And watching what their mom, what she did, and through all the things, not just about what she dealt with me, but how she handled situations in life, the caring, the building of their character uh, as well is, is very important on how we're trying to do that. So the lessons learned from dealing with adversity, but also normal life, how you deal with situations in, in a positive way, how you can impact others. That's why I took you know, one of my sons on that trip to Guatemala to see what, what it's really like. Let's get out of the bubble for a little bit and let's go to Guatemala and see how people live and how the impact you can make on people and be that multiplier of others. So showing them one boy at a time those situations and develop that sense of empathy, the sense of driving real character to really growing up to have and be a multiplier of others is something very important to us. Well, you have been multiplying. And uh, a question that I was asked in all places, Shanghai in China by an Australian travel agent at a presentation about five years ago. And his question was, John, if you could go back in time to the day that you were about to blow that can of gasoline up and I gave you an opportunity to blow out the flame, would you do it? My answer to him was I would not blow out the flame. 
as brutal as the experience was for me. It led me perfectly to where I was today, including the opportunity of being across from him. But you've had a little bit less time to reflect on your explosion and your date and that walk on the beach in in, uh, Mexico. So if you could go back in time and blow out that flame and not go through the difficulty of the last two years, would you you choose not to go through it? (laughs) Boy, that's a tough one. (laughs) Yeah. Someone asked me, you know, after I said I was on the other side, that similar type of question. And I asked someone in my situation, they had a terrible bout of cancer. I asked them the question as well. And it's interesting. Um, You know, some people say that they wouldn't go back and blow out that flame uh, at all because the person they are today is a direct result of, of what happened. And I absolutely see that. Sure, I would love to say that I'd blow out that flame, I'd be the best person, you know, just like I am today, but I'm not sure that's the case. Yeah, do I want to go through this struggle, all the stuff I deal with today? I hate it, you know, I hate it. But will that make me a a better person? Uh, You and I had this conversation over coffee one day about the St. Paul throwing the flush. I thought a lot about that conversation, and yeah, maybe that, that is something that I need to continue to think about. Uh, and something I'll, I, I'll, I deal with every day, I do believe that because of what happened, it's changed me in a way that I'm not sure I would have been able to be changed if this didn't happen. Mm. Uh, and my goal is to, all right, let's not look back. We're moving forward. How can I now be a, that better person? With this blessing that's been given to me, I have a responsibility now. But what can I do to be, I keep saying it, but I just love the term multiplier, to help one person that will help two, that will help eight, that will help 12, whatever that is. That's my responsibility, whether that's within being a a leader at Worldwide Technology, helping a coworker, or whether that's being something to do with a charitable organization or a person on the street, it doesn't matter. I I think I just have maybe a little bit different perspective on things Mm -hmm. that uh, maybe I wouldn't have had if this didn't happen. And Kim, I'm going to put the same question in front of you, completely unfairly, but it's your it's in your court now. If you could go back in time to that walk on the beach, obviously, ease of life would suggest <laughs> you'd rather just walk back. Talking about the beautiful shells, knowing all the struggle that you went through and all the blessings also that came out of, and the connection between the two of you that you feel today, how has this thing changed you for the better going through it? It definitely has changed us, and I, I will say mostly for the better. I think. The only hesitancy I have in in saying full-blown it's changes for the better is that just, I think, being a wife and a mother, you know, trying to not worry going forward and then also not having the boys see the worry and feel the worry. That's the only hesitancy I have is that the worry's tough because the future is unknown. But that's where your faith comes in on that. But I, I, I do agree with Joe and, and what he just spoke about with the whole experience having transcended him, especially in a different way. He was always a good guy. But this experience has made him even a hundredfold more that person. He's just amazing. And he really is wanting to lead his life in a way that helps serve others, especially people who have gone through a similar situation that he has. I greatly admire him in so many ways and choosing to do what he's doing now. What an awesome share. And so Joe, I was gonna ask you a question as we get ready to wrap up and move into the Live Inspired 7 about what's next for you at Worldwide Technology. And I'm not gonna ask that question anymore. (laughs) Instead, I'm gonna tell you that about two weeks ago, we had the opportunity of having a surprise party for my brother on the beach. It's his 50th birthday coming up. He'll hate the fact that I just broadcast that, but there it is. (laughs) And so uh, we went around this wonderful evening around this fire that's ignited in front of us, bragging each one of us, his five siblings and his mom and dad and his spouse, and then his kids on what they loved about their dad or their son for my mom and dad, or for me, my brother. And it was just a really cool moment for all of us to pause long enough to recognize the beauty of someone in the room. And it's something we rarely do for those who are closest to us, actually. So you have someone closer to you than anyone else in the world seated across from you right now who was your right-hand woman during a very difficult process, but she was there with you even before that difficult process. So I'd like you just to take a moment, fireside chat to uh, tell your wife and your team member and your friend, in any way you'd like, thank you for being part of that journey. 
Yo, so I, I don't even know where to start with this. Uh, thanks for putting me on the spot. On I know, that, this is something you cannot prepare for. So I'll, I'll take a beating later on, I'm sure. She has, I mean, she's always meant so much. I mean, when we first met in, uh, at St. Louis University, I didn't like her. <laughs> she didn't like me either. <laughs> so it was like, all right, well, hey, nice knowing you. And so our, our lives went in separate directions, right? Until I graduated and saw her at a bar down Cleese Landing, Sundarhurst. And, uh, <laughs> and I saw her and I asked her on a date and she wouldn't give me her phone number. I'm, I'm going to let you remember it, but you're not allowed to write it down. So she told me her phone number. I remembered it. Called her the next day. We went on a date. And then five years later, got married. As uh, the song by Brad Paisley that she introduced me to was, I thought I loved you then. And you got married, you, th you think you love someone when you're married. Then you think you can't love them anymore until you have kids. And you can't love them anymore until this and that. And, and that means a lot more to me now, obviously, than it, it meant before. If they didn't understand that, uh, that well, to be honest with you. And I, it's not done yet. I mean, to me, it's like, I thought I loved you then. Well, probably five or six more times. And, and that's what I think she means to me and how I feel. You think you know someone, you think you, you have a feeling for someone and that's it, but then you reach another level. Finding those levels, ongoing levels, is something that I don't think I ever thought of. And that's what she means to me right now. I always find a card for her for Christmas or birthday or whatever. It always says best friend and wife and soulmate. And that's truly not just the words that you read, but of what she's means to me and has meant to me for all these many years, 20, almost 27 years. The, the Valentine's Day Live Inspired podcast coming <laughs> to you, brought to you today by our friends at Worldwide Technology. <laughs> How cool to have a couple like you in our backyard, parents like you in our backyard, and a business like yours led by a guy like you and a family like yours in our backyard. So I, I, I've been so honored, so blessed to have you on our show and to consider you both friends and people that I look up to. Uh, unfortunately for you, it's not over yet. We have Live Inspired 7. They are seven questions that tether every one of our guests together on this show. And I'm gonna begin with my friend, Kim. Kim, what is the best book you've ever read? Well, I would say that it would be a recent one called The Rent Collector. I don't know it, tell me about The Rent Collector. True story about a young couple who had a child lived in Cambodia on the beach and their everyday work was picking through trash. The woman endeavored to be able to read. She was wanting to change her child's life and no one around them, including her immediate family, knew how to read. So she found someone to teach her to read because she wanted to change her child's world and she did learn to read and was able to teach her child to read and change his life and eventually get him out of Cambodia. <laughs> All right, I'm supposed to follow that one. It was a recent read. It was a really, it was a mother's love for her child too, just her dedication to her child. Well, I wrote it down and I can't wait to pick up a copy, The Rent Collector. And mm. Joe? All right, that one's gonna be a tough act to follow. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a personal one, there's a business one that relate, uh, both relate very well in my opinion. The personal one is a book that a very good friend of mine gave me before all this happened to me, by the way, called Halftime. Really taking your success to significance throughout your life. So your first half of your life, whatever your definition of success is, you know, you get there and now it's halftime. What are you gonna do with that success? How do you parlay that into really driving significance and being that multiplier to others? And so that one took heart for me and meant a lot when I read that. And you give me some good ideas about what I want to do in the future. But then this hit, and it means a lot, something a lot different than it meant before. So, so that, and that's on the personal side. On the business side, it just so happens to be uh, Jim Kavanaugh, our CEO, uh, when I was on vacation, said, hey, take a, uh, take a listen or read this book called Multipliers. It's about leadership, you know, being a multiplier within a company. And I read that, and it, it just really dovetails so nicely into what the halftime book was about, but the, the impact you can have on, on someone by being a multiplier from a leadership or a coworker, and, but also the characteristics that may be a diminisher uh, as well. So understanding the difference and how to best drive the characteristics to be that multiplier in leadership was, uh, was very important, something that uh, I'm still working on as we move forward. Thank you. What, what, what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Um, I'd like to begin with Joe. I would say that sense of uh, adventure, 
you know, maybe short memory <laughs> that I had as a, a child that I wanted to go out and do so much and something happened or I forget about it in a few minutes that I probably don't have today. Whether that's related to, you know, I don't have enough time or I'm not, I don't have enough energy, excuses, what have you. But I think that just that, that sense of adventure and that short memory are two areas that I would love to possess a little bit better uh, now than like I had much better when I was a child. Perfect. Kim? Being open-minded. As a child, you're, you're open-minded. You're open to basically anything, any idea, any notion, any person. And the older we get, you know, we become more closed. We have preconceptions. That open-mindedness sometimes is harder to find. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a perfect, gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, Kim, who would you want to be seated next to? I would really have to say my grandma, my dad's mom. And we were always very close growing up, but she's been gone about 10 years. And I thought I asked her all the questions I wanted to, but now I realize there's so many more that I would ask her. What would you ask her? What's the first one that comes to mind? My grandpa died when she was 52. So she lived 27 years without my grandpa, had almost a high school education, not graduated from high school, so resilient, so strong. And I would love to pick her brain and learn more about how she did it and how she went on when she was so dependent on my grandpa to move on and to live such a great long life after he passed. Joe? I'd go back to what I said earlier. I would want Unfortunately, I'm going to change the uh, the rules here, but I want two people. I, I definitely want my mom and dad. What my dad went through and the faith he put on, I would love to know what pain was really going through him at those times. Was it, and how he dealt with it? How did he come getting, you know, come standing back up, not down, standing back up? I'd love to talk to him about that whole 12 years and what that meant to him. And then on my mom, I want my mom, um, how'd you do it? I mean, even though I, I had plenty of time to ask those questions, I thought I'd try, but I'm not sure I have the right answers from her all the time. Shielded and, and kept a lot inside her. I want the actual truth on how she dealt with all those situations. I mean, she watched her 13 siblings, she was in the middle, die, everyone, she was the last one mm-hmm. alive. She saw so much pain and suffering and death, how she dealt with that and still, was an avid St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan. Went to 25 games a year, she died. I mean, that's what she wants. She had such a positive, always loved life and would be so upset when she couldn't do something. How did she go through all of that with my dad, her family, and still have such a positive outlook and want to do so much in life? I just, I have so many questions around that. You know, as, as, as you both are sharing, it reminds me that one of our listeners an avid listener of our podcast kept hearing about the, these regrets and he did not want to have those. So he took his mom out for a nice long dinner beachside and he asked her every question that he could think of that he did not want to regret not asking, which reminds us that we may not be able to take our mom and dad out today or our grandmother out today, but there are people in your life and you know them that uh, if when they leave and they will leave that uh, we ought to have no regrets. We ought to tell them that we love them. We ought to tell them that we're grateful for them. But we also want to hear some of the answers to their lives. So uh, use this podcast as an excuse to get up and have a conversation about something bigger than the weather. So uh, my friends, uh, I'll start with Kim this time. Kim, if your home caught fire and the boys are out, the animals are out, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what is that one item that you come racing back out with? My wedding ring for you know, everything it symbolizes. And it's the only thing that I really can think of that I would want to get out. Joe? My first thing would be, I would never want to lose my photos or my videos, family videos. And we have a lot of them, but all of my videos and photos are in the cloud. So with that being said, and everyone's safe, I'm not sure I'd run back in the house. What's the best advice you've ever received? Joe, we'll start with you. It was probably from my, my boss CEO, Jim Cavanaugh, when I was at the, my prior company was, you really need to come over to Worldwide Technology and we're doing something special. It's a startup and you a part of this organization would be great. I made the move and couldn't be happier about what the results of that was. So that'd be that. And then within the business side, one person once told me that I have taken their heart and I, I do this and I'm very careful about this is gave me one piece of advice and that was be interested, not interesting. And so when I look at people and conversations, that's something I'm always very cognizant of when dealing with people. Mm. Well said. Kim? 
the best piece of advice was that if you are consumed by worry and let worrying take over, you're going to miss the joy. Get that one on either your bumper sticker or your like right bicep. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it's really my mantra. Um, for all of us, because the vast majority of us are consumed, that's a great word, by worry. And when we are, there is no way to be living in joy. Can't do both at the same time. What would you tell your 20-year-old self, Kim? Trust yourself. When you're 20 and you're trying not to think too much about your future and you know making the right moves, making the right steps, doing the right things, and you don't know where you're gonna land and end up, I think it's important, it would have been important for me to know more to trust myself, that I'll end up and get where I'm needing to be by making good choices. Perfect. You're gonna, ha you're gonna have great successes and many failures, great times and some real, real tough times. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. It has been said that all great people and couples and presidents and parents and leaders and servants in life can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? And we'll begin with Joe. So maybe my one sentence is a bit aspirational. I would love that sentence to read something like, he was a true multiplier of others. Now, it's not something that I believe I am right now, but something I'm trying to do and will continue to do. Like I said, an aspirational approach, that's something that's very important to me. Thank you. And I would say, John, I've also heard this before, and when I've heard it, I've been very struck by it. And I think it's lofty for me right now. But how I would like that read is that at the end of my life, well done, my good and faithful servant. And wow, I aspire to be that person until the end. I mean, it seems lofty and a little unreachable right now, but that would be unreal. Mm. Well, Joe and Kim, my friends, thank you for multiplying what you have been given. Going from individuals at Sundecker's Bar on the landing mm -hmm. in St. Louis and memorizing a girl's phone number and ending up dating and marrying and raising three kids and doing life together and starting a little business with 15 employees and multiplying that to 6,000 plus. You have been faithful, you've been good, and it has been an honor having you on our podcast. So uh, thank you for the time today. Thank you, John. I really appreciate being here. It was fun. It was fun. Thanks so much, John. Uh, my friends, that is Kim and Joe Koenig. I am John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspire podcast. I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast together as a Live Inspired community. And yes, that includes you. You are part of this community. Together, we can change the world. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.